Hi, and welcome to the 39th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. The theme of the show today is Women in Space. I'll be joined by Dara Patel, space expert at the National Space Centre in Leicester, and we'll be talking about all things space related and how to get into the sector. Inesh Santos, our associate editor, is still off on her holidays, so I'll be sharing the details of the new stories in the written issue once again. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Dara Patel, space expert at the National Space Centre, Leicester. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's always a happy podcast recording on a Friday. So welcome. And we're looking forward to having a really good chat with you today. Awesome. So I'm going to start by asking about your educational background and career to date. Sure. I've always liked maths and solving puzzles. I always thought of science as the endless puzzle, trying to work out why things are the way they are. And that happened at a very early age. So throughout my primary school, those are the subjects that I enjoyed. And that continued through my secondary education. So by the time I'd done my GCSEs, I decided that I wanted to study maths and physics and geography at college. So physics for me and astronomy particularly was about the science of understanding the universe and geography was the science of the earth. So I really felt like it was a a nice combination there. Once I'd finished college, I decided to go off to university. So I did an integrated master's in physics at the University of Leeds. And what that meant is that my fourth year was spent doing research. So I got a taste of what research was like and I realized it wasn't for me. I didn't like this idea of studying something super focused and super niche. I liked the broader aspects of the science and it was some of the other opportunities that I had whilst I was at university. So during the summers, I did a, a teaching placement one year. I went to a camp in America one of the summers and did a bit of teaching and working with students there. And that led me to what I feel like is my passion now, which is science communication and teaching. It's what I like doing. It's not just about learning, but actually communicating what I've learned with other people. So once I'd finished my university degree, I did a teacher training course and then ended up teaching in a secondary school for a couple of years. So I was teaching science there in general. But again, I realized that I didn't really like the formal education environment. I wanted to be able to have a bit more flexibility, I guess, in terms of what I was teaching and how I was teaching it. So I uh, left to go and work at the Royal Observatory Greenwich in London. And I worked there as an education officer. I got to do a whole range of different things. So I was delivering planetarium shows, doing workshops on astronomy with school children. I was 
doing observing sessions, sci-fi movie night events, outreach and festivals. So there was a whole host of different things that I got to do there. I even managed to lead the education program for a short while. And then I saw this job come up at the National Space Center as a space expert. So I started here in January 2022. So it hasn't been very long that I've been in this position. Well, they're super lucky to have you. So if we're trying to imagine what you'd be doing on a day-to-day basis in your current role, what sort of things are we imagining you're doing? It's a bit of a mishmash, really, and I'm still trying to get to grips with exactly what my role entails. But as a space expert, what I'm doing is trying to keep up to date with current space and astronomy news. And I do that in different ways. So networking with lots of different people. So whether that's researchers, people who work in industry, other people involved in science generally, doing lots of reading and lots of watching of press conferences, trying to keep up to date with what's actually happening in the space sector. And then off the back of that, what I try and do is disseminate that content. So I've learned all about what's happening, but what we want to do is share it with our audiences. So I write blogs, I do press and media interviews, some ad hoc presenting with the National Space Center here and the outreach sessions that we might run do a little bit of training with the team here, all in the hope that we can take what we've learned about what's happening in the space sector right now and tell our audience about that so they're up to date with what's happening as well. Not just that, I sometimes work on engagement projects with groups outside the National Space Centre. So I'm currently doing something with the University of Leicester, trying to do some public engagement activity with some of the current research they're doing. Sometimes I might be helping to organize events and bring in speakers. So that's where the networking that I do really comes into play. So we can try and bring in some of these active people in science to the National Space Center. And then, of course, lots of jobs involve that kind of bread and butter, lots of emailing, lots of meetings to keep in the loop with what's happening at the National Space Center in general, because there's so much going on. What I would say is that every day is different. Every day has lots of variety. And that's what I really love about this job. Indeed. And I think you've had a really interesting journey as well in that you've done a few things, but it's all brought you to where you are now because the idea of science communication, it's relatively new to me as well. It's something that's not always known as a career that you can get into. Yeah, absolutely. Growing up, I didn't really think about science communication as a career as such, but it's following my interests. I knew that I didn't want to be stuck in a lab doing research and I very much enjoyed learning and then sharing what I'd learned with other people. And so the opportunities I've had have really helped hone that and given me a wide variety of skills to get to where I am now. So yeah, I totally agree with that. And how can technologies that are developed for space help us in our everyday lives I've I've become aware of this crossover there's loads of things connected with space yeah in fact we do a couple of interactives with our audiences who come here and one of those is talking about those technologies that were used in space lots of people don't know that technology or things that were first developed for the space industry have actually made it into our everyday lives so scratch resistant lenses were used on the visors of astronaut helmets and they're now used in most sunglasses and prescription lenses materials that were used to create astronaut spacesuits particularly these polymer plastic materials that would be flame retardant they're now used to help create heat resistant suits for firefighters things that you might use in your everyday home life so 
as part of the Apollo program, NASA partnered with Black & Decker to try and create a battery-powered tool that they could use for drilling and taking rock samples when they were in space. And that actually led to the creation of the cordless dustbuster vacuum. So many different things. And I think one of the big things that people may not be aware of or perhaps don't think about as much is the use of satellites in our everyday life. Satellites are used for a lot of positioning, navigation and timing purposes. So when you go to the supermarket and you use your credit card to pay for something, the banking system uses satellites in space to synchronize those transactions. Energy networks use satellites to help organize power grids. Transports, when we're using signaling or thinking about autonomous vehicles even, that requires satellite usage. Our emergency services, ambulances, firefighters, they all use navigation systems for their vehicles. Things that we may be more used to are communication. So our mobile phones, our satellite TV is all dependent on satellites. And even the weather, we're using satellites in space to do Earth observation, not only to monitor our weather, but also to monitor environmental incidents or help in emergency responses as well. What I find really interesting, though, is modern technology is hopefully going to help bring space to everyone and make it a bit more accessible for everyone. So we're seeing right now private space companies Blue Origin and SpaceX, they are conducting space tourism. And right now, that's only really for the, the millionaires out there. It's not something that the everyday person can afford. But as technology improves, that will bring prices down and hopefully make space more accessible to people. We take looking back at something like Concord that was established as this really high price way of getting across the Atlantic Ocean, traveling from the US to the UK or vice versa. And it was only people who could afford those high prices that were able to use that. Now we have loads of budget airlines and as technology improves, that will hopefully be the way things go. It will make things a bit more accessible for people. But what I think about when I think about accessibility and bringing and engaging people into space is the diversity of people that we have. So for the past 20 years or so, we've had people working on the International Space Station, a satellite orbiting around the Earth. Back in the 1960s, it was astronauts who were white males that went into space. We now have had over 200 astronauts in space from about 20 different countries, both male and female. And the research we're doing on the International Space Station is helping us learn a lot about living in space for a longer period of time. And an extension of that is the Artemis program. So proposed by NASA as their next big journey to the moon. And they're looking to have the first female land on the moon and the first person of color as well. Not only that, recently the European Space Agency has been doing a round of astronaut selection and they've not just restricted their applications to what we would normally think of as people applying to be an astronaut astronaut, but they even have a paraplegic astronaut application where they're hoping to eventually get the first para-astronaut into space as well. So technology is definitely helping us to make space more accessible and to bring those technologies back to the earth where we can use them on our planet as well. And nobody's got the monopoly on good ideas either, whether that be from whatever group or whatever country or whatever gender. So it's amazing that's all coming together. 
Absolutely. And the space sector is it's really diverse and therefore you need a diversity of people and a diversity of thought within it as well. I think of space as being such a challenge in terms of it's not easy to get out there. It's not easy to understand. And so to understand it, to build the technology, to study it, to make exploration of it even possible, we need to have these new and creative ways to explore it. And what may work on Earth doesn't necessarily always work in space. So we need people who are going to bring new ways of thinking and new ways of working. And I always think that males and females generally are programmed in slightly different ways. And I think that means that men and women can bring different skills and attributes to any project. They can bring different ways of thinking, which when you're pushing the boundaries of what hasn't been done before or achieved before, such as in the space sector, that becomes really important. And likewise, people from different upbringings and backgrounds may have had different experiences such that they approach a problem or a challenge or even a task in a slightly different way. So there are so many roles in the space sector. Each of them requires a different set of skills or different amounts of knowledge. And while certain groups of people may be good at one thing, there will be people um, in other groups that are better placed and equipped to take on other tasks. So I think that is really important. There is no one right way and having a diversity of people to bring their contributions only means that we're making the best progress. Absolutely. And if we were going to give some advice to either girls and women or people from other minority groups who are interested in getting into careers in the space sector but aren't sure where to start, how do we help get across the breadth even of, of, of all the roles that are, are out there because there's so many that you just wouldn't even know exist aren't there really I think it's one of two things it's either overwhelming or you just feel uninformed and I'd start this by saying it's not until I started working especially in my current role in my previous role at science centers that I think I really found out about just how broad the space sector is and how much opportunity there is for the next generation to get involved so The bits of advice that I would probably give is, number one, follow your interests. It's served me well in terms of thinking about what I enjoy and what I like to do, and it's paved my career path for me. And I would say for a a role or a job in the space sector, you don't have to just like physics and maths anymore to get a job. There are lots of roles if you do like physics and maths, like becoming an engineer or a researcher or a programmer or a project manager on a spacecraft. But also, if you don't study those typical physics, maths or STEM subjects, there may be other roles. So you could study medicine and become doctors to astronauts who are training to go into space. You could become a designer. One thing that's really hot topic right now is a space lawyer. So, you know, what is the law in space? How might we want to define that? Even a journalist in the space sector, someone who likes to report on what's happening. So there's lots of different roles, but following your interest is my first bit of advice. The second bit I would say is take opportunities outside of school or outside of education. So I think this is the thing that really helped drive my passion, but also gave me a bit of the broader soft skills as well. So I would say things like going to a science event 
if you can, attending a science summer school program, if you can volunteer at an organisation that you're interested or take part in science competitions. So the UK Space Agency and the European Space Agency often hold lots of satellite building competitions. Even something like joining an astronomical society where you get to use telescopes and talk to people who like doing that kind of practical observing. I just think getting out there allows you to meet other like-minded people, to make contacts and to build your confidence to learn about perhaps some of the opportunities and career options that might be out there that you may not necessarily know about. But maybe a caveat to that, sometimes it's not as easy to get out and about. So one of the things that I like to do, even if I am going out and about, is to generally watch, listen and read. I love watching space documentaries, love listening to podcasts and reading blogs and articles. And those things have really opened my eyes to what's happening in the space sector. And now with the age of the internet, hopefully some of that access to media content becomes just a bit easier. So I would say those are my tips. Follow your interests, try and take opportunities outside of just your normal school. And if those aren't always possible, then try and find a bit of content for yourself. Watch, read and listen to some different things, I guess. I think that's great advice. I don't know what the, the, the age is that you have to be to have a LinkedIn account, but when you're old enough to have a LinkedIn account as well, I find LinkedIn a fabulous resource for finding things out, finding out what jobs are out there as well, finding out who's out there. Yeah, agreed. I'm a, a prominent user of Twitter, so that's where I like to get some of my space news too. It's very easy to follow people that you're inspired by or interested in and just get a, a little bit of news or an update on what's actually happening there. So totally agree. And top tip for Twitter as well, you can create lists on Twitter. That's a really good way of, of if you've got particular interests in particular areas, you can create curated lists of the people who are experts in those specific areas. So you almost follow that list. It's like a different channel, but you can make it so it's much easier to organise in that way. I didn't know that. That's news to me too. Oh, well, the, oh, well, the, well, there we go. Well, I've learned a lot today, so I'm glad I'm able to impart some knowledge back as well because you, you can end up following thousands of people. And then if everything's in your feed, it just gets a bit overwhelming. I, I, I like organisation. And I hear on the grapevine, but this is not, not about space, but we might be getting a Twitter edit button soon. We're all looking forward to that. That was something I heard I got quite excited about. Well, that's going to revolutionise twitter for me change everything hopefully in a good way as well so yes and so what is coming up next for you what are you excited about so because i'm still quite new to my role and because it is a new position there's still a little bit of room for my duties to be shaped in a different direction if that's for the best so right now i'm mostly looking forward to getting stuck into projects and planning and overseeing events like our Festival of UK Space that will be coming up in August. Hoping to get a variety of researchers, industry experts and space sector personnel to join us at the National Space Centre for a day where we can celebrate the UK's role in space. Sometimes I think it's not quite out there and people aren't aware of how much the UK is doing in the space sector and this would be a chance for everyone to find out. There are also some big anniversaries and notable events this year. So things like the 10th birthday of Curiosity rover on Mars uh, and also the launch of Artemis 1, the uncrewed test flight of the spacecraft that will take astronauts back to the moon later this decade. So particularly looking forward to exploring and sharing the people stories behind those, but also getting into the juicy science and sharing that with the public as well. 
That sounds incredibly exciting. So I'll, we'll put everything in the show notes so everybody's able to follow and keep up with what you're doing. And I would just say to people, if you're interested, then there's all this stuff happening. So come along, get involved, people. Yeah, I would totally reiterate that. We'd love to have lots of people come here to the National Space Centre and just be amazed with what's happening in space. Well, I am really grateful to speak with you today so i'm just going to say dara patel thank you so much for joining us and uh, will you keep in touch with us and can we follow your progress moving forward oh absolutely it'd be lovely to keep in touch nesh santos our associate editor is taking a well-earned break so i'll be talking you through the news stories in the written issue once again stories include Professor Caroline Smith, Head of Earth Sciences Collections and Principal Curator of Meteorites at the Natural History Museum in London, shares how exciting working in the space industry is. She tells us all about NASA's Mars 2020 mission and how the rocks that are being found on Mars are helping us understand more about Earth. Dr Stacey Habergan-Mawson, Manager of the National Schools Observatory, discusses helping to make careers in space more accessible by providing schools with remote access to the world's largest fully robotic telescope. She explains that we need to encourage young people to be curious about science and why science is about asking a question and trying to find the answer. It's not about knowing all the answers. Also, Joanna Carmenova, Commercialisation Officer at the European Space Agency, tells us about her role working with the agency's business incubation centres and technology brokers. Joanna works with brokers in Austria, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Greece, Poland, Romania, as well as the UK. Caroline Harper, Head of Space Science at the UK Space Agency, shares her work on the UK's Space Science Programme and the 17 major international projects in progress to develop instrumentation for European Space Agency science missions. She's also working to develop new bilateral partnerships on missions with NASA and other agencies. Finally, Rida E. Zainab, spacecraft algorithms engineer at CGI, an IT and business consulting services firm, tells us about her work on projects like the Mars rover and the solar with magnetosphere ionosphere link explorer, known as SMILE. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link to the show on social media and also follow the show. The feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us for the next episode in Written Issue, where we'll be celebrating awesome women in mathematics.